If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Blog Talk Radio.
skies broadcasting lies Billions of people Camels on the streets tracking who we meet And call this liberty Probably don't remember, but 
American public schools used to have uh, shooting programs in almost every one of them. There was no hysteria, no hype. Uh, firearms weren't considered uh, uh, animate, spontaneously arise and and do damage. Uh, there were shooting programs in public schools all across the nation. And then during the starting in the late 60s and then continuing on in the early 70s, finally by the 80s, they had uh, managed to strip most of those programs out of these schools and out of a lot of universities, which is very dangerous for the, uh, for the Second Amendment rights because the millions of school children that will be graduating this year those millions of kids, if they've never had any type of exposure to firearms, and I mean, I mean in a good way. I don't mean like they got home invaded or somebody got their car jacked. I'm talking about exposure to firearms, which is uh, learning how to shoot, learning how to shoot safely, learning how to to handle a firearm safely, learning the uh, the correct philosophy behind firearms use and the history behind firearms use. There, this nation wouldn't be here. If it weren't for firearms, you know that's that's just the bottom line. Without firearms, America would never would never have come into uh, into existence. Uh, they tried; they certainly tried to prevent it from coming into existence by removing uh, access to firearms from the colonists. <clears throat> if we can get firearms back into the schools, and we've got a long way toward toward helping to uh, dispel the, uh, the the horrible environment of fear that most people who haven't been experienced, who haven't had any exposure to firearms, most, most people uh, feel. Uh, I can't tell you the, the number of folks that I've met and spoken with who have uh, conveyed to me their absolute fear of firearms, and uh, it was almost a, uh, you know, an almost a uh, a, a real uh, a physical manifestation of the fear. But just them thinking or talking about firearms, <clears throat> I think that uh, that had someone handed uh, firearms to some of these people, that uh, that they would have they would have become physically nauseous by it and dropped it like a, a rattlesnake. And that is because of the ignorance uh, of that firearm. A firearm is a tool like any other tool. It can't uh, spontaneously uh, become imbued with, uh, uh, with, with human... Uh, concepts of, of good and evil. It, it can't uh, jump up and start doing things on its own. That sin belongs to humans. And, and yet, uh, folks who have never experienced uh, any type of exposure to firearm use, they feel that it is the tool that embodies all of the evil. That, that firearm is imbued with, with evil intent. And just as often, I've had these people, one of the ones who could who managed to surmount their fears and actually uh, handle a firearm and learn to shoot it correctly. 
I've had some of those folks become some of the most ardent shooters. I'm not going to say that it that it changed some of their minds about the the idea that uh, that people should be getting uh, uh, handouts or <laughs> or any of the other things that that some people think, but uh, it certainly changed their mind about firearms. And like I said a moment ago, with millions of kids graduating every year. Uh, and the majority of them that are graduating are are 18, then they are now legal voters. And with the millions of kids graduating who have never had any type of exposure to firearms, they've never uh, experienced any uh, of the shooting sports, hunting, target shooting, skeet, uh, nothing, then they have no interest in it. They have no dog in the hunt. They don't... They don't understand. Uh, they don't understand anything about firearms, firearms use, the heritage of firearms, or the importance of firearms uh, in our history and in our future. They don't have any dog in the hunt whatsoever. So a lot of those folks they figure that uh, the only the only people that need firearms are the government and law enforcement. That's all. Those the only ones. And uh, every time we graduate a new crop of several millions of kids that think that way, we are certainly doing damage to our freedoms and liberties. Uh, we should be we should be trying as hard as we can to get educational shooting programs back into the classrooms. That's one of the things we're going to talk about tonight with. Uh, with one of our guests that is uh, uh, that is pushing to uh, can do this, that can help do this. And one of the things I want you guys to do is when you're listening to this to program tonight or tomorrow uh, or next week or whenever you listen to it, uh, I'd like for you to think about ways that you may be able to help this. Now, we talked to Jim and Kim Heath last week. They did the uh, the event where they talk to a school. Actually, the school was to talk them into it. The school has already decided to do it. Some of the teachers did. And they sought out uh, the Heaths and Appleseed. And uh, the two got together, and they actually uh, brought Appleseed into the school. They actually brought firearms into the school. And lo, uh, no one no one was uh, assaulted by the firearms. Everybody lived through this uh, this event, and then they ended up taking them out to the range, and they shot uh, out of the range. They didn't shoot in the school. The schools don't have the facilities to do that uh, like they used to. You know, a lot of schools had uh, uh, shooting ranges, like in their basements and stuff like that. They had indoor shooting ranges for the 22 rifles, and uh, you could shoot in the basements, or you know, some of them had them in the gym. So they took the kids out to the shooting range, and uh, they shot rifles. I believe they also shot uh, pistols and shotguns, too. And then the news, the local news, ran a story on it. And uh, within just a couple of hours, it had, uh, I don't know how many now, maybe five or 6,000 on it on the, the news station's social media webpage. Only a couple of uh, folks were against it. 
And uh, these were the folks, you could tell by the, the stuff that they were writing, that they were ignorant of it. Because in in the minds of a lot of folks like this, they think that the minute that you bring firearms onto uh, a school and teach the kids about safe firearm usage, that you are creating an atmosphere where <clears throat> violence uh, can breed. And they don't understand that it's exactly the opposite. Uh, teaching kids how to safely handle firearms is uh, is really an extremely important task. And we should be trying to do all we can to get rifle marksmanship instruction back in the schools, to get kids out to apple seeds and uh, to teach them early about the safety and the, the correct usage of firearms and the history and heritage of firearms. Because firearms aren't just a, uh, they're not an independent thing in and of themselves uh, as far as their connection to America and Americans. Uh, America is, is steeped in a long tradition of firearm usage. Certainly some of it's bad, uh, but not the majority of it. The majority of it is good. If you think about uh, firearms ownership today, there's over 100 million firearms, uh, legally owned firearms, out in public use. Now, were those firearms to spontaneously uh, uh, come alive and commit the, the, the evil uh, crimes in their hearts, we would have uh, over 100 million shooting victims tomorrow, over a third of the, the country's population. But they don't. They don't. And 100 million firearms didn't shoot anyone today. They didn't shoot anyone yesterday. They didn't shoot anyone last week. As a matter of fact, there's 100 million firearms that are never going to shoot anyone in their lives. Americans need to understand this. <clears throat> Certainly, there are there are bad things that go along with having firearms. But if you look at the actual statistics on it, uh, firearms may get the front page and they may get uh, the biggest news coverage. Uh, they are, are are really the least dangerous uh, of our modern. Uh, tools that uh, that we that we may come across uh, every day. Uh, I mean, if you think about things like uh, uh, like firearms, which uh, were involved in approximately, uh, I believe, uh, close to between eleven and thirteen thousand in the last reporting period in two thousand eleven, I believe. Now, remember too that we're at a fifty-year low for. Uh, gun homicides and gun violence in our nation's history, 50-year low. Uh, but if you look at the, the uh, I, I, I can't recall the numbers right now, but it, it was between 11 and 13,000 uh, in the last reporting period of gun homicides. And then you look for that same reporting period, and you have uh, approximately 40-plus thousand deaths 
a year from vehicles. Now, I understand every, what everyone's going to say is that, well, that's, that's a ridiculous comparison because we have to have vehicles. We have to have vehicles to get to work. We have to have vehicles to uh, take our, our sick uh, kids to the hospital. We have to have vehicles, uh, you know, to, to go and get groceries and stuff like that. And you're right, we do. And they are a useful tool, but they do have uh, that dark side to them. And you have uh, uh, approximately a third of those uh, vehicular uh, deaths due to folks using drugs. And uh, and we're not going to get into that right now, but let's talk about the let's talk about this. You've got uh, however many millions of vehicles there are, and then you've got uh, the forty thousand plus deaths every year. And they say, well, firearms don't have any, any good side to them. So if we just eliminate them, we eliminate the deaths without, uh, without any unintended consequences, but that's not true. Uh, it's been reported, and this has even been reported by uh, the current administration's folks, uh, and they reported, I think, on the low side, because the reports are between 1 million and 2.5 million crimes are prevented every year uh, by firearms. The majority of those, the firearm is not even uh, discharged. It's simply either shown or the person has made it known that they've had one. That's two and a half million crimes. Two and a half million crimes that are prevented by the possession of a firearm as opposed to the the uh, 11 to 13,000 deaths now, do you want to hear something else that's even more strange? Is we have a current push, a very heavy push currently, by by folks to uh, to limit, to control, to ban the possession of what the media calls assault rifles. Which is, I'm not even going to get into the fact that that's uh, that that is ridiculous, <clears throat> but. Uh, we have a, a huge push on to get rid of the assault rifles. Now, you look at the, re, the statistics uh, during the same reporting period, and you'll find out of the, uh, let's say, let's call it 100, let's call it 13,000. Of the 13,000 gun deaths, those only uh, about 10%, about 1,200 or so, were from rifles. Of those 1,200 or so uh, rifle deaths or long gun deaths, uh, only approximately uh, 14 or so were from assault, the media term, assault weapons. So you have 1% of 1% of all the firearms that are causing problems, which are the so-called assault rifles, and we're at a 50-year low and gun homicides. So what is the real reason that they want these firearms banned? What is the real reason? Because out of all the possible threats that Americans face in their daily lives, being uh, being killed or injured by an assault rifle is so uh, phenomenally statistically low that it's ridiculous. I mean, you have a much more, a much greater chance of being uh, struck by lightning 
than you do by being killed with an assault rifle, at least in the hands of of individual citizens. Uh, so what is really going on here? <clears throat> I'm typing for a second, so that's why I'm quiet. All right. Uh, the the number of deaths by physicians who overprescribe or misprescribe medication is right at 250,000. So every year, uh, 250,000 Americans, uh, they go to the doctor, get a prescription, and they think everything's okay. 250,000 of them are going to die. That is uh, 25 times more likely to be killed by a doctor and uh, and legal over-the-counter medication than you are to be killed by a long gun. Uh, 2,500 times more likely to be killed by a physician and over-the-counter medicine than you are to be killed by an assault rifle. So, once again, uh, I know people say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, we've got to have medicine. Yeah, we do. But do we have to have 250,000 deaths by misprescribed or overprescribed medication? I think that if I was looking for a bandwagon to jump on and say, look, I, we've, got to, we've got to stop some of these Americans from being killed. Now, we've we can we got a choice. We can either go after the 13 that are being killed by these so-called assault rifles, or we can go after the 250,000 that are being killed by over-the-counter uh, prescription medications or, uh, or you know, by misprescribed or over-prescribed medications. So which one should we go after? Which one sounds more sexy? And obviously, it's going to be the, the evil black assault rifles. All right. Uh, I'm going to uh, bring on our first guest. Our first guest tonight is uh, uh, Marianne Shaw, and she's involved with a uh, a program called Marksmanship in the Schools. And uh, Marianne, welcome to the show. Hi. First off, it's Marksmanship in the Classroom. Marksmanship in the classroom. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Marksmanship in the classroom. Well, first off, uh, first off, tell us about uh, a little bit about yourself. How you got? Uh, how you got to? Well, like, uh, if you have any history in uh, with uh, shooting and firearms, like how you grew up and stuff, and then how you, what path led you to become involved in marksmanship in the classrooms? Um, I grew up in California. I grew up in a family where my father had shotguns. They were around, but it wasn't really acceptable for me to handle them. I also grew up knowing I wanted to teach, and being in California, at a young age, I knew I had a choice. Either I could express my love of the Second Amendment, or I could keep it to myself and ensure that the bullying that goes on in the back rooms of many classrooms of many schools, of kids who enjoy, um, who come from families who enjoy the Second Amendment, that there was somebody there to defend them. 
So I, I always had this passion, and until two years ago, I had actually never touched a firearm myself. Okay, so you grew up, but you grew up, and your your father had uh, some shotguns and stuff. But he never took you shooting, or he never said, "Hey, uh, Marianne, you want to come with me to the range and let's do some skeet shooting or anything like that." Nothing or did like you, that. Did I have any My, desire to it? No, I, I wanted to, but it was not. Uh, the only reason my younger brother was even offered it was he was in the Boy Scouts, and the Boy Scouts have their rifleman patches and all. But the Girl Scouts don't have anything like that, so it was never even offered. Well, but, I mean, what about your dad? I mean, he didn't, uh, like, I'm I'm always trying to get uh, my kids to go to the range and shoot and stuff like that. I just thought it, thought it strange that he wouldn't, like, say, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you come with me and go shooting? Nope. It was an interesting household to grow up in. Right, right. And and this is out in California. And uh, right. Oh, uh, what? Like, in, give us a kind of a loose time frame when you were in, uh, uh, let's say, uh, in middle school and high school. Like, what uh, what um, year around? Well, I was in middle school from. I was in middle school and high school from the early nineties to ninety eight. I graduated high school in nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so, so this wasn't that long ago. Do you think no. that your father might have been influenced by the the atmosphere uh, of a lot of the folks in California by by afraid that uh, that he might be looked down on if he tried to get you to go shooting or something? He had grown up in a family out in Delaware, and where hunting was one of the ways they brought home food, and for him, part of it was pride that his family didn't need to hunt. Okay. I, I completely understand that. Uh, a lot of people yeah. don't, but I, I do completely understand that. Look, we don't need to hunt. I'm a, I'm a man that has a good job. I can, I can buy whatever I need. We don't need to hunt. Yep. Right. He, as it is, he's scratching his head over the fact that we have a rabbit tree in our backyard. <laughs> well, so what uh, what brought you to finally ha- having some kind of exposure or introduction to farms? So this happened uh, just uh, recently, right? Recently, um, I got my teaching credentials in 2005, and in 2010, they because I. Never really got to go work in an actual classroom, a public school classroom. They timed out here in California, at which point I actually came out of the gun closet to my husband. I I told him, hey, you know what? I actually enjoy guns, which was a huge surprise, a pleasant surprise, but a huge surprise to him. (laughs) Was it a good surprise? It was a good surprise. Okay. What do you say? Did he say, honey, let's go to the store and let's buy some guns? Well, it was a big enough. He was, he was happy enough about it. The first time I actually put my finger on a trigger, he had signed up to be at a Glock shot out in Kansas. We had moved from California to Kansas for a short period of time, and he had signed up to go compete in Glock shot. Well, he came out of the registration room and said, honey, I signed you up too. He had just bought his 45. He, um, I can't remember which Glock it is. And 
he said, you're competing, you're in the next round. And so my first time with a finger on a trigger and sitting led down range was with him supporting me in a competition. Wow. And so, so that was it. That was your introduction. You didn't have any... That was uh, my, yeah, go ahead. That, yeah, that was my introduction. There was... We'd spent some time at the particular gun shop helping him pick out his first his first Glock, but prior to that, I had not really spent any time when we when he would go to gun stores to look around. He could never figure out why I was kind of hid. You know, part of that was I wanted to make sure that students who were being bullied in California by faculty had somebody they could go to. So I had always kind of kept it hidden on how much I loved the second. Right. And so, but tell us how you made the, what what brought you to make the jump from brand new uh, gun owner, brand new shooter. You said you and your, you and your husband went and you picked out a, uh, a pistol for him, and then you guys got signed up for, was it a class? No, it was a competition. I wasn't sure if you said it was a class or if it was actually like a shooting event. It was a shooting event. It was an actual competition. Okay, so you guys you guys just went straight past the instructions, straight to the shooting event, to the competition. Where you go? Well, once you guys did that, once you did that, and you and you and you had picked out the the uh, handgun for your for your husband, what came next? What uh, what caused you to, like I say, to make the jump from from not having a firearm and not doing any shooting to shooting, and then to becoming an advocate? I'd I'd always secretly been an advocate. It was just. I kind of kept it hidden, and from the time that I first put the trigger, my finger on the trigger, and went from there, it was shortly after that that we got me my first Glock, and then I sat down, and from there, I started trying to figure out how to incorporate it into the curriculum that is currently being taught in various schools. Okay, and and what did you find? The, you said that uh, you said that you heard or that you somehow you became aware of the the being somehow bullied or looked down on or something by faculty for their for for having some kind of experience with the firearms. I um I wanted to teach since I was five and starting in about seventh grade. So when I was about thirteen. I actually started getting involved with my local school district and my local school board and being allowed to kind of sit there and listen in on teacher conversations between faculty. In high school, I was actually the only student allowed to eat lunch in the student-teacher lounge. (laughs) And I would hear these different conversations. when I was going through the Cal State Fullerton teaching credential program, there was just a certain 
I don't know quite how to put it, but a certain feeling given to families who were not going with the flow of what California politicians were pushing. Right, right. And contrary to what a lot of people think, a lot of people think that uh, they want to try and diss California, spell it with a K, uh, make fun of the Californians and stuff like that. But I'm telling you guys, if you haven't been out to the California, if you haven't talked to the Californios yourself, uh, then you don't understand that if they're guilty of anything, it's not of them all being uh, commies. It's that they are they are too uh, they're too uh, unimposing. They're too uh, willing to to be nice. The majority of the folks out in California are uh, they're no different than you and I. Uh, anywhere in the central uh, part of the nation or any of the uh, the other parts of the, the states that are pro-Second Amendment and, uh, and, and pro-government uh, as far as the gov- being, government being uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people, then uh, you, guys are, you guys are making a mistake when you think about Californians in this way. I imagine a lot of... I imagine there were a lot of folks who are not happy about the way California education is going, right? There is a lot. If you look at California and the amount of students who are now being homeschooled, educated in a charter, or educated at a private school, the numbers are shocking. Parents are pulling their kids out of the public school in droves. The charters are having a tough time keeping up with the amount of parents who want to enroll their kids for the 2014-2015 school year. Right. Right. So, so in, a, in a way, almost your whole life, you have mm-hmm. been involved in some way or another with, uh, with the decision-making process as far as the, in the educational fields. Uh, like you said, you've been... Uh, while not actually involved and maybe in making some of the decisions, you've been on the sidelines watching the game the whole time, right? Right. I've sat on the sidelines. I've sat there and watched them play their little chess games with student lives. Right. And uh, what what was the actual point that uh, that where you decided to uh, to come off the sidelines and and begin your your work with the marksmanship in the classroom program? Well, in seventh grade, I decided I wanted to open my own school. And the pillars of the school, I wanted to be our founding document. And part of the activities, as I've been figuring this all out, as I've, grown, as I've gotten more experience behind me, I wanted students to be able to experience in their education each of the Bill of Rights, each part of the Bill of Rights. And to do that, I wanted there to be a marksmanship program in whatever school it is that I end up starting. And when I found out I was coming back to California, I knew if I was going to do this here in California or any other state, there was going to need to be paperwork already started 
stuff that was a background for when I go to file for to get state approval from whatever state I am, I'm in regarding a program for it. Right. So right. so so you're so you've been laying the groundwork for the marksmanship in the classroom for several years now, right? I mean I know that it, when you and I talked the other day, you said that the 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 actual uh, the actual organization itself is fairly new, but you've been working on the groundwork and you've been working on the like the I don't know what you call it the bylaws or the background of it for quite a while. Yes, um, part of what I've it, it's a program that I started. It's right now it's just me and my husband, and the whole reason I had even started it was we. We are currently homeschooling, and in order to set up some form of paperwork background to get programs to be able to be available for the schools, I was creating the lesson plans for our children. Right. Now, so then there's also been some connection with Appleseed, right? Yes. When did you guys Uh, end up uh, attending an event, and where was it? Last year, when my oldest was seven years old, she attended an Appleseed event out in Azusa, not Azusa, um, Glen Helen, California. It was a lady seed, and she went for the second day. And she, there's photos of her being on the line, laying in prone, working with one of the instructors one-on-one. Okay. And she, and that was actually her first time ever putting her finger on a trigger and sending ammunition downrange. Okay. And what did she think about it? She loved it. She, we had always been working with her on the safety skills and lessons behind it, and it was the first time that she had gotten to really sit there and see what mommy and daddy go out and do when we go to the range. Right, and I looked at your, uh, uh, a lot of your, uh, I don't know if they were lessons or uh, the stuff that you that you posted on your Facebook yeah. page, the, the a lot of the instruction uh, almost sounds uh, like some of the stuff that we teach at Appleseed, but, but I know too that you had already had this stuff uh, posted uh, several years ago. So where were you getting your information from? Um, Well, I had just started posting that stuff in January, and a lot of it is coming from lessons that I would go through a U.S. history textbook, and I'd be, oh, that's something that students, I'd come across a lesson that I would think would be great for a hands-on lesson. And, when, like when talking about some of the safety regarding marksmanship, it fits right into lessons for science. So when you're talking about having projectiles go downrange and why you need to sight in, why you don't send anything downrange until your sight is on the target, well, what happens when you just roll balls at towers without sighting in where you want to roll that ball. Right. 
So. Well, right now, you're doing this uh, with your children. Right. And, and you are setting up the lesson plan. You are uh, you're getting things ready. To what will be the next step? How will you how will you move this from uh, from your home, your experience in teaching your kids? How will you move it to the next level, and what will the next level be? Uh, right now, one of the things I'm working on is trying to inspire other homeschoolers, especially in California, to start incorporating this into their education plans. In California, if you're part of a charter, like we're part of a charter, which is a parent's choice charter, so we get to choose what we want to teach our kids as long as they comply to the state standards. Um, Getting other parents to come come on board and do this and then that way, when they're sending off stuff to the state of California for their kids' um, permanent records, there's a record of marksmanship being just not one family's permanent records, but many families. And then from there, hopefully, we can start getting either a charter school to pick up having marksmanship back in the actual classroom, whether it be a marksmanship team, an actual marksmanship course, something where there's actual marksmanship going on involved with the school, whether it be a charter school or a private school, and then moving that once we're able to get and demonstrate to the public how this is actually beneficial, how students are able to connect with the history that is involved with marksmanship and the culture that is involved with marksmanship, get that then be able to get that back into our public schools. Wow, that sounds really great. And you're doing it, you, like you said, you've, you've thought this out, and this is a great way for folks to start doing this. But, you, but just, like, uh, just like Appleseed, you know, Appleseed, isn't, uh, it's not a 100-yard dash. We know that it's a hard row to hoe, and we know that we've got to stay in it. We've got to have our mindset so that we're staying in it for the long run. That, uh, right. And we're not jumping in and we're trying to, to make everything happen at once because it's not going to. And that's the same thing with, uh, with what you're doing. You start laying the groundwork right. and you start showing them how the relevance that uh, firearms and marksmanship instruction uh, can have uh, in an overall fashion to the child's education. And then you can take that and, and other people can start using those same lesson plans, and then it can get mainstream far enough that uh, you know once there's once there's uh, you know a couple of hundred kids using it, then uh, then the schools uh, the schools can feel comfortable in uh, perhaps including it in some of their mainstream education. As that's am I getting the am I getting the process pretty pretty correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, it was uh, a long process pulling it out of the schools. It didn't yeah. just disappear overnight. Right, and it's going to take just as long to get it back in. What 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 have you heard from uh, uh, like from other folks who have uh, who you've talked to about this 
what have you heard from other parents, other homeschooling parents and stuff? I know in the school that I'm currently um, homeschooling through that we've got now at least two parents who have decided that this was something they wanted to incorporate into their programs. Um, they were already using archery, and now they're going to start looking at using the rifle and the pistol. So it's it's gaining speed. There's from just here in California. When I've talked to other parents out and about at the park and all, I have yet to have a parent sit there and tell me, "You shouldn't do that." It, it's actually been a very warm reception from most of the homeschool parents that I deal with. Right. And uh, I think you're doing a great job. And your page, your Facebook page, and if you guys want to uh, uh, to go take a look at our page, you can uh, go to the Facebook and then search, do a search for Marksmanship in the Classroom. And that's uh, Marianne's page. Yeah, she also has, uh, it's not just a uh, solid gun page. There's plenty of uh, uh, firearms, marksmanship in there. But she also includes uh, other stuff. Uh, uh, well, like you've got a uh, uh, several... Uh, uh, subject posted uh, for uh, bows and arrows, their uses, the parts of them. You have historical mm-hmm. uh, uh, references and, and historical exploration of the different types uh, and locations where you would find them for historical types of the uh, uh, flint points, the arrowheads, you know, where you would find them and uh, and from what what period they are from, and and you know who was making them and stuff like that. So you had you you. It's not just all about guns. And then you also have uh, one of the things you have to do is what is it? It's a marksmanship Friday, I believe it is, where you where you post stories of uh, uh, different uh, marksmen from throughout history. Yeah, on Fridays I try to do a biography. So. I went during the archery time, I did a biography of Mad Jack Churchill, who used archery during World War II. And his infamous line is a, what was it? Um, Oh, an officer is never fully dressed without his broadsword. Now, we're not talking the 1800s. We're not talking the 1700s. This was World War II, and he was he stormed a German, an entrenched German unit with bows and arrows. <laughs> man, oh, man. And, now, uh, where was that in our, in our history textbooks during World War II? Well, this is uh, this is a great way, and 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 none of this is done. Uh, I don't think any of it is done uh, distastefully. There's nothing on here uh, about uh, that is uh, in praise of violence. There's historical recognition, like the stuff you just talked about, uh, and that you have right. in there from uh, Jack Churchill and stuff. None of this is, is praise or, or anything that's fomenting uh, violence or, or anything like that. It's simply historical references to it. And then 
very nice, clean uh, information and instruction uh, on rifle marksmanship. I think you're doing a, I think you're doing a great job. Now, one of the things that, that I talked about with you before you came on was uh, mm-hmm. was maybe we could get uh, some way for you to, uh, you know, from the people that are listening, maybe get some way for folks to contact you and, and see about working with you or or maybe learning from you and getting uh, the same kind of program started. How would they go about getting in touch with you? Um, they would go to the Facebook page and just shoot me a private message. Okay. I get back to – I check that twice a day normally, and anybody who – Sends me a message on there. I get back to them as soon, almost as soon as I see it. <laughs> well, what uh, if you had advice to give somebody about getting started? Uh, what would be one of the first things that uh, that you would tell folks about getting started in in putting together a program like this? Either for uh, the way that you're doing is through homeschooling, which to me seems like right. really probably one of the smartest ways to do it because. I think you would have, uh, I don't know what the homeschooling like is in California. And first, let me say that for folks that are not familiar with homeschooling, you may think that uh, it is a way for people to have their kids out of school and just sitting around watching TV and stuff like that. But uh, homeschooling is actually probably, uh, I would say, even a little bit more difficult in public school, certainly more difficult for the parents because it is not a uh, it's not a wild west. Do anything you want to do, and with no uh, worries about any oversight. Uh, at least here in Texas, there is a ton of oversight, and uh, I'm sure that in California, it's got to be just as much, right? Oh, in California, I meet with an education supervisor once a month for the charter that I'm with. I File. I have to file lesson plans monthly, so they they are kept to the same standards. And I can tell you, my own personal classroom, it looks like a one room schoolhouse. They sit in there for just like you would in a one room schoolhouse. I have a pre K, a preschool, and a second grader, and they have assigned desks. They have assigned tasks. There is a set schedule, and there are standards to be held. <laughs> right. And uh, and like I said, the, here in Texas, you have to turn in uh, uh, your lesson plans. You have to – they have to take, uh, you know, regular type exams. Those, those exams are grades and stuff have to be turned in, and uh, it is – it's a pretty well-regulated uh, situation here in Texas. I don't know anything about any other states, but I know that it is here, uh, pretty much here in Texas. And uh, and uh, and it's not easy. Uh, all right, but if you would, uh, if you were going to tell somebody, uh, how would they get started? Uh, how would they get started doing something like this? So what I would tell people who want to start this is start with your safety. Start, look at your four basic safety rules and look at your lesson plans. You can incorporate them into just about every part of the lesson plans. You can have students write essays on them. 
and to get them, just work with them. When you're studying U.S. history, when you're studying world history, just start incorporating the culture and the history of marksmanship into the actual lessons. And uh, and if folks want to get in touch with Marianne, you guys can go to the Marksmanship in the Classroom Facebook page Send her a message, and uh, and like she said, she will be more than happy to get back with you and give you a hand. Uh, uh, I'm sure, anyways, that she can. You can take a look and see how she has set up uh, a lot of the subject matter, and uh, think about doing this if you're homeschooling. Think about doing this with your homeschooling group, and then think about uh, think about ways that that you can. Uh, that you can partner with uh, other organizations like Appleseed. Uh, we've got an Appleseed homeschool event uh, in just a couple of weeks that uh, our next guest has set up. And uh, and Appleseed, of course, we're more than we're more than willing to help you do something like this. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to get out, uh, Marianne? Um, all the the two best organizations right now I can think of that anybody could go to for help in regards to setting something up like this, number one, of course, is Appleseed, but then Cold Dead Hands has something called FAST, Firearm Safety and Training, which they've actually been working with college students with some fraternities out there on the East Coast, and they've got a program up and going, too. And... I can't remember the name of the gentleman who runs it, but if you, if people contact Cold Dead Hands, he's more than happy to also help. Okay. All right. That sounds great. Uh, I want to thank you, Marianne. I see it wasn't as nearly as bad as you thought, was it? We just <laughs> no, it a, couple of, a couple of other thousand intimate guests listening in. Marianne had told me before she came on, she was a little bit worried. She said, I've never really talked uh, in front of um, – any big groups? I think you said the biggest group you had spoken of uh, in front of lately was, uh, what, five or six folks? Yeah. <laughs> and I told her not to worry. It was going to just a phone call between her and I. I think you did a great job, and I think that you're doing a great job. And we'd, we'd like for you to come back on and, uh, you know, on a fairly regular basis and give us some updates so that we can we can kind of follow this and see how it's going. Would you mind doing that? That's perfectly fine. All right. Well, best of, uh, I'm not going to say luck. I'm going to say best of skill to you, Marianne. God bless and keep you in what you're doing. And uh, and any time that we can help, be sure and let us know because we'll be more than glad to. And then uh, just give us a call back and give us some updates uh, throughout the year and let us know how things are going, okay? All right. I will do. Thank All right. You. Thank you very much, Marianne. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again pretty soon. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, so <clears throat> folks all the time talk about they, they want to do something. They want to help. They want to fulfill their responsibility to safeguarding the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. <clears throat> but they say, as one person, I can't do anything. What can I do? I'm just one person. That was just one person. Marianne is just one. She's one person. 
but this is what she's doing. She's one person that is uh, that is doing something. You can do the same thing, all right? You can do the same thing. Now, if you want to know more about what she's doing, you can go to her page, Market Shift in the Classroom, on Facebook. Uh, if you want to talk to her, you can send her a message through that uh, page, and she'll be more than happy to speak with you. And uh, and maybe uh, what I'm hoping is that this is something that is going to uh, – and, and doing the research on this, I see that there are uh, there are more and more folks thinking this way and working this way. More and more organizations are trying to do this, and uh, this is the way. This is the only way, really, that we are going to uh, to fix some of the problems that we have. Like I said, the, our main the main devil that we face. Uh, as far as our Second Amendment and stuff right like that. I'm not talking about the real devil, the big one. I'm talking about the main devil in Second Amendment uh, terms is ignorance. Uh, that is what kills us. That's what, that's, that is our, uh, our enemy is ignorance. Because I told you, every time I've seen somebody uh, who, uh, who was absolutely certain firearms were, uh, were able to, uh, commit atrocities on their own. Every time I've seen somebody uh, break through that wall and learn to safely handle a firearm, that has vanished. That that fear, that anxiety, that belief that the firearms themselves were the embodiments of evil, that has vanished. So, to me, uh, education about firearms is is one of our strongest and most important weapons. That's really the only way you're going to get anything through. You can kick and shove and fight and push and bite and yell and scream at each other and throw stuff, and, uh, and you can do all that you want all day long. You can, you can stand a foot away from uh, an anti-gun protester and yell at them and tell them how wrong they are all day long. They're never, they don't care. They're not going to care. You're not going to do anything. The only way you're going to do something is through a legitimate process of educating them, right? All right, we've got uh, we've got our next guest is uh, Rachel Malone, and uh, Rachel uh, came on for a few minutes last week to tell us about some of the stuff that she was doing. She didn't have a lot of time last week, but I, I asked her if she would please come on, kind of give us a, a little uh, 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 little tidbit of the the stuff that was going on. But Rachel is a, is another story uh, of one person who is making a big difference, and, I, and I, that's one of the reasons I want these two guys on because because that is usually the excuse that you'll hear from most people. Look, I'm just one person. How am I gonna How am I gonna do anything? I'm just one person. Well, it appears that there are a lot of just one people out there that are that are doing a pretty bang up job, and uh, I'm gonna get Rachel to to start telling you about what she's doing. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, for the folks that don't know, uh, you are uh, an Appleseed uh, shoot boss, and uh, I think a really very talented one, and uh, and a very busy one, too. You're like, uh, 
right now I'd call you like the the James Brown of uh, Texas Appleseed. You're the uh, you're one of the hardest working souls in Appleseed that we have right now, and uh, I really appreciate all the effort that you've put forth in doing that. But that's not the only thing that you're doing. First of all, can you give us a little bit of background, kind of like what Marianne did, as far as <clears throat> is how you uh, how you well, first of all, how you grew up, because you have you have a little bit of a story there that's complementary to what she was just saying. How you grew up, and then how you how you become involved in firearms, and then how you made it to Appleseed, and and let's take it that far, and then we'll go farther after that. Sure. Okay. So I definitely have kind of a crazy story there. Uh, so I didn't. I I grew up in Texas, but I I honestly never saw a gun until I was in my twenties. I don't know why. It just my family wasn't antagonistic toward guns. We just weren't around them. There was no exposure. Uh, so my, my first exposure came when my brother announced that he was going to get a CHL. My first question is, what's that? Uh, as soon as I figured out he was going to be, uh, you know, entertaining the idea of possibly having a CHL and carrying a gun, I immediately tried to persuade him that that was a very stupid and irresponsible and horrible idea um, that nobody should ever carry a gun. And uh, he was smart enough to just refer me to some facts and leave well, me to study on my own. <laughs> hmm? Give us, give us. Uh, you can probably remember back then, right? Give us, give us some, one of your arguments for him. Why, why did you think he was uh, was irresponsible and dangerous in doing that? Give us some, one of yeah. the arguments that you had. Yeah. Okay. So I'll first say that I completely made up statistics off the top of my head, but just from what I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> From what I heard in the gun, I can see you doing that right now, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. Uh, but I, I was just pulling information from what I'd heard about guns in the news, which was that guns can go off randomly at any time, and you never know when that's going to happen. So obviously, logically, you don't want a gun in your holster on you, on your person, when the gun is like randomly going to go off. So that, to me, that made a lot of sense. The argument, um, and. I think I also have pulled up some some arguments just kind of logically made sense to me, telling him that um, it, that he was much it was much more likely that he would end up shooting himself or that the bad guy would would grab his gun from him than that he would actually be able right. to use it successfully in an offensive situation. And that was just my own my own concept of what would happen. Right. So my brother knows me really well, and he just said, okay, um, yeah, bring back those, those statistics, show me the citations, and, and we'll talk about it. Because if that's true, then you know, you're right. We, I wouldn't want to carry again. And, of course, he's already done his research, so he knew what I was going to find. And he knows that I, I do study things thoroughly after I, after I slip out about them. So um, I went and did my research, and within a few days or maybe a week or two, I came back, and I was, at that point, pretty much ready to get my CHL because the facts had just completely changed my mind. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it was that uh, it was that quick of a revelation. Now, in one way, yeah. it's surprising, but in another, in another, it's not because uh, because for those of you guys that don't know uh, Rachel, she's she's very very sharp. And one thing she left out is that. Uh, uh, she is a product of uh, homeschooling here in Texas, right? Yes. And uh, and uh, she's the type of person that I think that 
that will do exactly what she just said. You know, if she wants to know about something, she's going to go out there, she's going to research it, and she's not going to waffle back and forth on something, or she's not going to uh, uh, she's not going to procrastinate. She's going to go out there, she's going to get the pile of books, she'll do the studying, she'll make a decision, and then she'll abide by that decision. And so, to me, it's 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 not that difficult to see. I think from that, for a lot of people, it would be to say, look, what are you, are you seeing that you went out and you you did uh, your own investigation and that changed your mind from being an, an anti-gunner to being a pro-gunner? Uh, is it that easy? I guess that's what a lot of people ask. So is it that easy? I think it is. I mean, honestly, no, I'm glad I came from that perspective, uh, especially with the work I do now trying to uh, justify on a lot of uh, gun rights bills. Because I know that the facts are solid. I, I approached uh, this whole issue trying to prove the opposite point. And even with that, with the incredible bias that I approached it, the facts were still strong enough to convince me of the opinion I now hold. So I, I know the facts are good. And I know they can change people's minds. Well, w- one thing before I forget is that mm-hmm. uh, when Marianne was talking about the homeschooling, in California, and we're talking about the homeschool in California, Texas, stuff like that, you happened to pop in in the chat room and you said, hey, Texas is way different than California. And be- yeah. before I completely forgot about this, that my, my memory is, is gone from 25 meters to about 5 meters. Uh, I wanted you to elaborate on that. Okay, <laughs> well, um, it, it depends on the family. First of all, homeschooling laws vary widely from state to state, obviously. Texas is one of the freest states for homeschooling. Uh, I I know people who move here to Texas because of the freedoms that they're allowed in homeschooling because they believe that the parents should uh, direct their their kids' education. And so, you know, they they find a place to come where they feel like they can do that. So Texas is known for that. Um, But what homeschooling actually looks like really depends on the family. Uh, some will do kind of like Marianne described, uh, where it looks like an actual school and you have your desk. Uh, honestly, my experience was completely different. Uh, it was more, uh, okay, I'm going to teach you how to read. My mom taught me how to read when I was like four years old. And then I just devoured books and she would, you know, keep me supplied with books and kind of go over and, and check my work and make sure I was actually doing some, doing some math books and all, uh, I attended a once-a-week science lab, but a lot of it was just reading books and studying on my own. So, it, you know, it, it looked completely different. Um, and, you know, every family's homeschooling experience is going to look different. Right. And, you know, we did that uh, early on before before everybody was about ready for school. We did mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. And we had to, you know, we taught to read early on. And then we didn't have a TV for for quite a long time. I mean, we had one. Yes. It just wasn't it yes. wasn't ac- no it wasn't a- available for anybody to access. And yes. uh, and the kids all read. Now they and they carry that on because we still go we still go to the library and uh, and it looks kind of bizarre when we go because we have to carry uh, three or four of those big uh, you know the big uh, mm-hmm. uh, recyclable uh, you know bags full of books because we'll get the 70, 80, 90 books uh, on each run. And yeah. uh, and that's what the kids do. But I'm telling you, I want to say anybody can tell you, it's pretty much a known thing, is that the more comfortable you are with reading, the more you read, the better you're able 
to understand the written word, the more the easier everything else flows from that. And uh, mm-hmm. and so that's what we did. And then for years, uh, when it was time for bed, that just meant it was time for for story time. And I would pick a a book to read to the kids. And of course. You know, if they had been good kids, then we got something good. Uh, you know, Treasure Island. Uh, they got they they learned uh, Paul Revere's ride almost by heart. But uh, mm-hmm. if they'd been knuckleheads, then uh, they might get uh, they might get uh, fifteen or twenty minutes of the uh, shipping manifest to the early colonies, and uh, you know, it would just it would just be page after page of what was in the holds of the ships. Uh, you know that we're going to the colonies, and they, they didn't like that. So, uh, but that was like their, uh, you know, that was my way of scolding them for being, uh, uh, for being non-compliant or something. But it was mm-hmm. still education. I mean, it wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, it, it wasn't me just turning off the lights or yelling at them or something. Uh, I mean, I and I would read and I would explain to them why these things were in the ships, why. Uh, why the colonists couldn't make them there in the colonies at that point, why they had to, uh, why they were upset about uh, tax on paper and stuff like that. And uh, so our, ours was a little bit different too. Now, once all the kids started getting up to school age, my wife just decided that uh, because the kids were, we were, I guess, afraid that it's time that we weren't doing a good job of socializing them. I mean, at one point we had people at the range for an apple seed, and my kids were like, can we go down there? There's people at the range. And uh, <laughs> I go, come on. I said, don't, don't pull that on me like you never see people. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so she went back to school. She got her uh, degree, then she got her degree, and then she just went to school and taught them all at the school, you know, the public school in there. Mm-hmm. And we made sure that we we have a good one, that we we maintain some level of control. Mm-hmm. <sighs> But like you said, everybody's experience is going to be different for mm-hmm. homeschooling and and how they approach it. And that means that every child's experience or what they learn is going to be different. And uh, and the the end product, though, you know, is the thing that, that everyone is hopefully that they've done a good job on. Now, you. Uh, a lot of your friends that you know, a lot of people that you've managed to to drag to apple seeds and stuff, are people that you know through the through your years in homeschooling. Right. Yeah. I mean, growing up, our home was kind of the hub for the homeschooling community in Austin. Uh, so we had people over there. I mean, it was not unusual to have a dozen people a day over there just at our house for various activities, various different things. Uh, there were there were just always people around. So yeah, I grew up knowing a lot of people. I know people in really all over all over the United States and almost every continent. I think just just from that networking that we did. Right. Okay. So you you went through your homeschooling. You got into mm-hmm. uh, you got into your twenties. Your brother, uh, for some reason, decided he's going to get a firearm and he's going to. Uh, to take the uh, the classes and get the paperwork to allow him to legally carry that firearm concealed on his person in the state of Texas. You looked at that with horror at first, 
and tried to dissuade him. Then you did the research, and he said, you know what? Uh, matter of fact, uh, not only do I now agree with him, I'm going to go get mine too, right? That's right. Exactly right. Okay. Now, take us from that point, because uh, once you decided to do that, things kind of took a, kind of a big turn in your life as far as as far as firearms and and rights and stuff like that were concerned, uh, what what started happening once you once you did the research and you kind of ended up oriented in that direction? What happened after that? Because at some point you bumped into Appleseed, but but tell us how right. the how the path went. Right. Okay. So that was five years ago. Uh, and and so I, at a point, yeah, I, I decided I'd need to get my CHL, and that was a good idea. Uh, but I was, I, I vowed I was never going to be a gun nut. I was never going to be one of those people who always went out and shot every weekend and talked about guns and you know had gun stuff in their closet. That was just not going to be me, ever. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, you know, I I kept on that way for I don't know a, a year or two, and then I I think I started hanging around people who who were shooters more or who were a little more into the you know, country living, but at least have firearms and, you know, have a reason to use them, you know, to keep out, uh, keep coyotes away from their chickens or whatever. Um, so I had a little more exposure there. And I thought, you know, uh, some of my friends go hunting. It might be a good idea to learn how to use a rifle. So I kind of had my ears open. It was a scary thing because I was not comfortable with the idea of rifles at that time. But I thought, you know, that, that would be a good thing to learn. And I happened to be at a friend's house uh, for Thanksgiving one year. And this would have been in uh, 2010, I guess. And I just overheard somebody mentioning something about apple seed. And uh, all I heard was rifle destruction, rifle marksmanship instruction, and I heard it was free for women, which it was at that time. And my ears perked up, and I asked a few questions. And uh, I guess I've already established the fact that, that – when my mind is, is convinced, I can act quickly. So I think it was three weeks later, I had bought a 1022 and registered for an apple seed, and I showed up at the villa. So that's kind of how that happens. Um, I, I will say, though, that even though, you know, I, I was very quick to jump on the opportunity to go to apple seed, I was scared to death the first time I, I showed up at the villa. I, I made a friend of mine come with me, somebody who shoots a lot, and because uh, I didn't want to go around. <laughs> and so right. he, he was nice enough, nice enough to come out with me, so I didn't have to face it all by myself. And and uh, anyway, but yeah, I, well, it was a scary thing to come out. Mm-hmm. Let me, yeah, let me ask you about that because yeah. and and guys, the reason I, I I'm asking her to to go through this in a pretty detailed way because there's a lot of info that's that's coming out in this, uh, and I want you guys all to hear it. And I, I and Rachel, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. But sure. uh, yeah. give us a give me a little bit of of an idea. When you say that, uh, number one, you were fearful of rifles, and and if you can explain that, was it just the uh, the fact that you didn't know anything about them, or did you think they were more deadly than than pistols, or what do you think was was causing your anxiety when it came to rifles? I think primarily just unfamiliarity with with a firearm. Uh, I was I had shot handguns enough to understand how they worked and, and know how to operate them. My rifle, I really was not comfortable with it. 
also, I knew I was showing up. I, I felt like a brand-new shooter. Uh, looking back, okay, I, I did know more about shooting than a brand-new shooter would have. I, I felt like a brand-new shooter. And I was afraid that there were going to be all sorts of, you know, those gun nut people who go and shoot all the time. And they were going to be light years ahead of me, and I was going to have no clue what I was doing. And um, Anyway, but I, the, the one thing that, that really convinced me to show up is I went to the website that said on the equipment list of things to bring, which, by the way, was, was another scary thing because I, like, didn't have any equipment, uh, but it said the most important thing to bring is a teachable attitude. So I kind of uh, have a little bit of a cynical attitude, which you've probably seen sometimes. I was like, okay, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to see if they really mean what they say they mean. And I bet you anything they don't. I think that was just nice words they said, but I'm going to show up, and if they don't, I'm going to hold their feet to the fire. So uh, I was I was kind of showing up to test out uh, to see if y'all really meant that a teachable attitude is the most important thing, and if you show up with that, you'll be okay. And honestly, within – Within a few minutes of showing up, I was completely convinced that you guys meant what you said when you said the only thing that you absolutely must bring is a teachable attitude. You there, Scout? Did I lose you? Not sure if I lost you, Scout. Uh, if somebody's in the chat, can you let me know if you can still hear me? Rachel, uh, we lost Scout. Go ahead and keep talking. Sure. Okay. Cool. Uh, so uh, showed up, and just the, whole, the attitude of the instructors uh, was so uh, it was so nurturing, and they were they were very knowledgeable about about what they did, but they were also uh, very encouraging and set me up with equipment, gave me loaner loaner rifle, loaner sling. And one of the coolest things I noticed about that day was that I, as a brand-new shooter, learned so much. And I, I didn't feel overwhelmed, even though it was really a fire hose worth of information. But at the same time, uh, my friend, who ended up, I think he shot a 209 on his first AQT, so he's definitely a, a very experienced, a very good uh, marksman, he felt like he learned a whole lot that same day on the same line. And so that that encouraged me and challenged me. And, and overall, I mean, I know that you, like you said, you were, you were, had a bit of anxiety uh, before you came because, and that's, that's really normal. And that is something that everybody is that, uh, look, I'm going to get there and uh, everybody is going to be, they're going to have the secret knowledge that I don't have. And, uh, yeah. going to be looking at me saying, why are you slowing me down? And uh, and then, you, of course, you realize that wasn't the case. And I'll let uh, and tell everybody, uh, I'm going to tell everybody real quick that uh, that I, I I hear that worry from people very frequently. But I'll tell you, and the, any of the instructors, uh, Bullet, Rachel can tell you, Sam D can tell you, any of the folks that uh, have instructed before can tell you that that's something you don't have to worry about because at every apple seed, uh, I'll get the full range. Everybody will get the full range of people that are going to show up. And that is, uh, you'll get uh, on one of the line, you'll get the person that says, hey, listen, uh, I've never really handled a rifle before, uh, but on the way here, I stopped at Walmart and I bought one. It's still in the box. Can you help me get it set up? And, and absolutely, absolutely you can. And at the other end of the line, you'll have a couple of guys that say, "Hey, uh, yeah, we're we're active duty, uh, and we uh, we're taking this course because uh, in a, in a month or so we're scheduled to go to the 
designated marksman courses or to sniper school, and we wanted to have a good fundamentals course before we took it. And the, each of those groups, from one end of the line to the other, and everybody in between, they're going to get what they came for, and that is a rock-solid uh, foundation in the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. And that's what, uh, that's what Rachel got, and that's what Rachel teaches now. And, uh, and it's still on everybody's mind. I don't care what level shooter you are. There's even people that are, you know, that are really still pretty good shooters, and they, they're still worried, saying, if I go to an apple seed, am I going to be behind? And then there's the other, the other end of the spectrum that says, I'm not going to an apple seed because uh, either they can shoot to some degree or, uh, or you get these stories uh, uh, all the way up to uh, my son is a sniper in the Marine Corps, so I don't need to know how to shoot. So you'll get all kinds of different uh, reasons or worries or anxieties. But let yourself not be worried because the Appleseed Project uh, is a program uh, that can satisfy the needs of just about everyone that's going to show up on a weekend. And, uh, Rachel, I remember you coming out, and I thought you did a fantastic job for your first uh, rifle shooting event, I knew that you were apprehensive. Okay? I could tell that you were very, uh, that you were apprehensive about it. And, uh, but you, you, you pushed on through it. And uh, at the end of the day, I will say this, at the end of the day, uh, now of course, that was only a few years ago. Uh, but I think still at the time, I thought like when you showed up then, I thought that you were uh, that you were still like uh, I don't know, a freshman or a sophomore in high school or something at the time. And uh, yeah, people tend to think I'm still in high school. I, I definitely got the the youthful. Oh, I wasn't gonna say that. I wasn't gonna say that, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> Most of the people still think that you're in high school, Rachel. She's yeah. not, guys. She's a she's a a full uh, fully educated young lady. But at the end of the day, uh, when we were, when I was given the uh, uh, the volunteer spiel, and the other instructors were, you know, we we're all giving our our volunteer spiel. I, I swear that I knew then and there that you were going to that you were going to somehow be involved because you were you were listening. Now there are a lot of people that stand there and look at you while you talk, but not everybody listens, and uh, you were listening. I mean, you were listening. I, I looked over at you several times, and I caught your eye, and you were looking me right back in the eye, and you were listening to what I was saying. I said, no, this person is getting it. They're, they're getting the instruction, and they're getting the whole reason that we're doing it. Okay, so you went through that uh, that weekend, and then you went home, and, and what happened then? Cause you went home, and I'm sure you yeah. thought about it, and you go, okay, what, what did you do? What did you yeah. – what was your decision when you got home? Okay, well, the funny thing was I, I really very truly did not think uh, that I could ever get my patch. I, I don't know why. I just, it just never occurred to me that, that I was one of the people who could get a patch. But I knew I wanted to come back just for instruction because it was great instruction. Uh, I, I'm a teacher, so I appreciate good teaching, and that was good teaching. Uh, they, instructors definitely had their act together. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come back as much as I can. Uh, that was in December. I wasn't able to come back until the following summer, but I came back, I think, four more times. And it wasn't until I was starting to bump, like, 180s that I started to think, 
hey, maybe it actually might be possible for me to get my patch. Um, it was something one of the instructors said. I don't know. They're, they're talking about me getting my patch. I just kind of looked at them like, wait, what? Me? You aren't talking about me there. Uh, so I don't know. I had this mental block towards it. But once, once I decided to, I, I figured I might as well go for it. And I ended up, uh, a year later, I got my patch. And uh, right away, like, when I got my patch, I knew that I wanted to instruct with Appleseed. Uh, just because of because of the instructors I'd seen, uh, it was a group that I knew that I wanted to work with. So that was a very easy decision for me. Okay. And you said that, uh, and you know, people have, people all have different reasons for doing things, and they have different reasons for becoming instructors at Appleton. Uh Some people do it because. They want to teach, but they also want to uh, they want to enjoy the social atmosphere of it. Because even though it's not a social organization, you know we do we we all become friends. You know we become friends, and then after that we become family. And and that's why some people do it, and then other people do it because they want to teach rifle marksmanship, and then other people do it because because they understand that what we're doing is not just teaching rifle marksmanship. We're not there just there teaching people how to shoot, and we're not just there hanging out and having a good time with you. They understand that we have a mission, and that the mission that we're pushing is very important, and they want to get plugged in, and they want to help out with that. So everybody has a different uh, a different reason, at least for their initial involvement. I think that all, all of the instructors uh, eventually wind up being there because of the message and the mission. At least I hope that. And so what's it, what I hope in my heart. But everybody, you know, everybody has a different reason that they start. And then uh, a lot of folks say, "Look, I want to get, I want to do something. I'm at a point in my life where either I have the time now, or I have the motivation, and I want to do something that is going to help out my community, my or my state, or my or my nation. I need to do something, and to and and I've looked at this program, and this looks like something that I can plug myself into, that I can get behind in, and, and I can do. And mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to, to explain what you did or why you did or anything. I'm just saying that that that's how people people usually have different reasons that they go in and different different reasons that they that they decide to do something. And you did, and you eventually said, uh, look. Uh, I'm here. I'm in. I'm in for the long haul, and uh, I want the hat. And uh, so you got the orange hat. And uh, after the after you got the orange hat, then uh, you started showing up and teaching on a regular basis. And uh, listen, I want to tell you guys too about this. Is that uh, that Rachel has got to be one of the absolute best seventh steppers uh, that I've ever come across, as far as uh, when she's going to an apple seed. Somebody she knows is going to. I don't know who, but somebody. Somebody she knows is going to go to the event too because she's never come to an event alone. She's always managed to drag between uh, between one and five people or more with her. And uh, what did your when you started teaching and you started uh, getting the word out about this, you started uh, shopping it to your friends as far as saying, uh, all right, you guys draw straws or roll dice or whatever, and figure out which one of you is coming with me because somebody's coming. Uh, what did your friends say when you started uh, telling them about it? 
Oh, I mean, there's there's mixed response as always. Uh, I think most people were interested, but I would say the vast majority are they're busy. They have something else going on. It's not it's not a priority. Uh, but I found my best bet was to call call the parents and say, hey, can I borrow your kid for a day? And everybody would always say yes. Um, so I'd, I'd bring all their kids out with me. Uh, and, you know, by the way, we're going to be at a marching kid event, and they're all cool with that. So that's, that's pretty much how I did it. And I'd, I'd bring my neighbors or my friends. But everybody, pretty much everybody I've brought has, has really enjoyed it and wanted to come back. A lot of them have come. So a number of them have gotten their patches or, or they're still working that's on right. it. That's right. Have gotten That's chat. right. Yeah. A lot of folks have gotten their patches. A lot, and and several more, including your sister, have uh, yeah. their instructor hats now. And yeah, uh, yeah that was actually really fun. I got to give my sister her patch, so that was that was kind of special. That's it. That was really fantastic. And uh, at the uh, anytime I'm running an event, usually one of the ways I start off is I want to. I want people to uh, to break the ice with them so that everybody's kind of uh, at the same place as far as everybody has. Uh, I get everybody to tell them uh, tell their names, uh, where they're from, because if they if there are two or more people from the same place, maybe they can get together and become shooting buddies and uh, and help encourage each other and you want to help teach each other. They tell their names, where they're from, and then. Uh, uh, how they heard about Appleseed because I need that for a promo, and then what they what they hope to get out of the the event. Uh, or and, uh, no, yeah, and I, I also ask them to say what brought them to Appleseed, how they heard about it, and what what finally made them come to an Appleseed. And uh, and there have been I would probably say at least a dozen. And when it got to them, they said their name, and then they would point to uh, Rachel and say, "I'm here because uh, she made me come." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll admit to that. <laughs> and, but let me finish that story too. The, I would say that uh, probably uh, 70, 80% of the people that ended up saying that came back. Uh, and, they, of course, they didn't have to come back. They came back on their own and uh, ended up uh, getting patches and, uh, in some cases, hats. So I thought you did a really, a really great job on that. Okay, so you came to Appleseed, you shot. You came, you said, I'm going to get my patch because I'm not a quitter. I'm going to get my patch. And you got it. And then you said, now I'm going to ask for the hat. And you got that. And then you started teaching. And uh, you've been teaching for, for a good long time now. And you uh, you earned, nobody gave you your green hat. You earned a green hat. Now you're a shoot boss running your own events across the state. But that wasn't the end of it either. Uh so, so now you're involved in Appleseed and instructing people, but you added like a, another couple of levels to your involvement, uh, not just in Appleseed, but in uh, in the Second Amendment process and movement that's currently going on in the state of the nation. Can you tell us how how that evolved uh, sure. and when it kind of came about? Right. So you were talking earlier about uh, a lot of times people say, well, I'm, I'm only one person. I, I want to do what I can, but I'm only one person. Well, I never wanted to be that one person who would stand up and make a difference. I, that was like the last thing on my radar, the last thing I ever would have chosen for my life is to be somebody who was going to, you know, be that political activist. Uh, hated politics, never wanted to get involved. But uh, in 2011, my 
darling brother came along again and disturbed my life when he informed me, in a good way, um, when he informed me that there was this open carry bill going on in the legislature, and I figured, hey, all, all those gun nut people and political people will make sure this bill passes. And I'll admit my only interest at the time was just because I didn't want to have to worry about concealing when I when I went clothes shopping. That was that was the extent of my interest. In this. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't care about the liberty aspect. I'm just going to be honest here. Um, but I figured all the people who were interested in liberty would make sure it passed. Well, it failed, and I think that's kind of what got my ire up. Um, and my brother looked at me and he said, "Why are you complaining? Because you didn't do anything. You just sat there and watched." And so that's when I said, "Oh, okay, <laughs> oh, yeah, man." He's, well, I can tell you guys are brother and sister because I could. Uh, I imagine I could hear the same thing out of your mouth to to yes. him or anybody yes, else. So yes, that's still a hard thing to hear, right? Um, not really. Uh, not from him. We're really close, and we know each other. And uh, he was right. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't argue with it. Uh, it. It's a very simple truth that I had no right to complain because I sat back and watched and expected somebody else to do something for me. Right. Uh, so, right. so, and I said, okay. Uh, point taken. Next session, I'm going to do everything humanly possible that I can to make this bill pass. And I'll show you that I'm, I, I, can, I can make this happen. I'm going to make it pass. I will do everything I can. And then I'm going to get out of politics and never touch it again the whole rest of my life because I will have done my duty. Um, it didn't work out that way, though, uh, because I, I did jump in and get involved. I started the organization Texas Firearms Freedom. And I, I started it as an organization, but I, I kind of in the back of my mind, I was going to run it through the legislative session and stop it because uh, I didn't I didn't want to continue in politics. Uh, well, there we had a situation in Texas where uh, a lot of bills were being blocked before they even came up for a vote. It was a very unfair situation. Uh, there's a lot of drama going on that I kind of ended up getting involved with. Uh, the long and short of it is, uh, Texas Firearms Freedom did not stop after the session ended, and I realized I was going to have to keep on going. And by that time, I was actually interested more in liberty than I was in freedom and clothes shopping, which oh, that was a good good thing to happen to me. So uh, now it's, it's really evolved <laughs> into, into a, a different sort of organization than I'd first imagined, but one that completely makes sense. So my, my mission right now is to equip Texans to make their voice heard for liberty. So instead of being a membership-driven organization that, you know, collects views and sends out lobbyists, I, I'm training people, I'm training Texans to understand the processes by which they can make their voice heard in an effective way. Because, you know, it's one thing to stand up or, you know, shout out on Facebook what you believe or what you stand, uh, stand up for and, you know, what you think should or shouldn't happen to the government. So you can post on your Facebook wall. It's really not going to make a difference politically. But if you know the political processes, you can actually make your voice heard. It, it's, there is a lot of effort involved, but really you can leverage your time and your resources. It doesn't have to cost a lot. It doesn't have to take a ton of your time if you know how to most effectively use your time. So I've been just trying to I've, – I've been traveling all over Texas training people how to become involved within political parties. Um, we're going to be moving towards being involved in the legislative process. Um, obviously, my issue is gun rights, um, and so I have certain bills and things and issues and resolutions that I'm supporting. But I figure that by training people in the processes, they can be equipped to make their voice heard for any issue they want. And that's, that's really my goal, not just for me to win, but for 
citizens to be able to hold their elected officials accountable. So that's that's kind of my project right now. Right, and and that's one of the things that, uh, well, like anything you do, you know, whenever when Rachel turns the the switch on, it's not a rheostat. It's not uh, one that you can turn and dim down or anything like that. It's it's the one that says uh, on and all the way on. Uh, and once you got started, uh, you really uh, you took the ball and ran with it because yeah, you uh, you started the organization Texas Firearms Freedom. And once again, before I go any further. Uh, Make sure that people understand the the website and how they can get to it. Sure, it's um, TexasFirearmsFreedom.com. www.TexasFirearmsFreedom.com. You can also find it on Facebook. You can just search for it, or you can type in Facebook.com/TexasFirearmsFreedom. And if you want to become involved and, and stay connected, especially if you're in Texas, or if you want to track what's going on in Texas. Um, then if you're on Facebook, definitely click that like button. Make sure you're subscribed for notifications. Um, you can also find my personal uh, Facebook profile, Rachel Malone, on Facebook, and I, I put out political alerts there. And the way Facebook works, you actually see those alerts a lot better than you do the, the pages. You can also go to the, the website, texasfirearmsfreedom.com, and sign up for what I call the alarm list. And believe it or not, that actually wasn't my idea. That was a fellow Apple Cedars idea to have an alarm list uh, because the concept is all of us are, uh, we have other occupations, other things that we do. We're not full-time political activists, but there are some times in an emergency when we need to become political activists. We need to go to the Capitol and testify. We need to pick up the phone and, and call a representative and say, hey, you know, vote for this bill or don't vote for this bill. Um, so to sign up for the alarm list, you'll get those notices when there's something going on that needs your attention. So that's that's our contact information. Right, and I really appreciate uh, number one you doing this. Number two, the I, I appreciate uh, not having in this in this age of uh, the over overload of information. I appreciate getting tight, concise uh, information from sources that I trust and. This is one of the ways that you can do that. You know, if you want to make sure that you're getting information that is timely and concise and pertinent, then uh, go to TexasFirearmsFreedoms.com, sign up for the alarm list, get the uh, the newsletter, because Rachel will send out the newsletter and uh, and alerts whenever something's coming up or uh, an after action on a vote and stuff like that. And it's a great way for you to get this information without having to dig for everything. Uh, yeah, and, so and I like you mentioned, doing that. thank you. I, you mentioned this, but I, I hate uh, you know, getting inundated with emails just because somebody's on a schedule and is going to send them every day or every week. So I don't send out a weekly letter or a monthly or a daily. I send it whenever there is something going on. So maybe it might be a couple times a week if there's some intense action, or you might go a whole month or two without getting one if there's nothing that I think warrants it. So I, I send it only when I think there's something that warrants your time. Right, right, and uh, and it's not. You're never you're the uh, stuff that uh, that Rachel sends out. It's not uh, packed with uh, spam. It's not when you open it up that uh, it's like opening up a hornet's nest of uh, 
uh, weight loss uh, uh, infomercials and stuff like that. All it is is the information that, uh, like I said, it's a very uh, cut and dried, uh, concise information, not an overload of it. It's just when something important happens or something important is coming up. I really like that about that, and you will too. And uh, and the way that you get started in in helping is by knowing what's going on, knowing what's going on, knowing the areas that that need some assistance, uh, knowing when a vote is coming up, and you need to call your reps right then and let them know. Uh, how you would like them to vote. And this is one of the ways that you can get plugged into that because when something's coming up for a vote or there's something dicey that's happening, uh, you'll get a uh, Texas Firearms Freedoms notice that says, look, uh, XYZ is getting ready to happen now. So now is the time to contact your reps and let them know what they should be doing to serve your needs. So that's a, that is a, it's a good way to get the information sent to you, like I said, so you don't have to keep digging for it. And now I'm all in favor of everybody digging for info. I'm just saying that if you can have it hand-delivered to your door, uh, you know, a nice, hot, steaming uh, 20-inch uh, letter of, uh, you know, of, of what uh, is currently happening, then that's much better than uh, trying to bake the information yourself. Uh, Okay, so Texas Firearms Freedoms is monitoring the stuff that's going on here in Texas, but it's not just things that are going on in just Texas. So if you're if, just because you're in some other state doesn't mean that you can't uh, get hooked up with Texas Firearms Freedoms because a lot of the stuff that Rachel is doing isn't just the state of Texas. I mean, there's, uh, there's plenty of stuff that is affecting our rights and freedoms nationwide, right, Rachel? Right. Uh, I am centered on action in Texas. Uh, I do sometimes put out notices on my page. I I feel like it's applicable, and I I personally follow other state sites just so I can see what's going on, either for, you know, testimony um, when I'm gathering evidence or or just to be aware of, you know, how my state ranks and uh, other things uh, I need to watch out for. Right. So, uh, so uh, one last thing is I'll, 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 you talked about the, the folks talked to the folks about it last week, and that is uh, uh, the work that you're doing with uh, Academy 21. But I'd like you to I'd like you to touch base on that now too, because this is another thing that that Rachel's doing, and I consider this uh, just uh, another big important chunk of of the, uh, like I said in the beginning, our most important and most, uh, our strongest uh, weapon to defend our freedoms is education. And that's one of the things that uh, you're doing with Academy 21, right? Academy 31, yes. 31, I'm sorry, 31. Yeah. yeah so and, tell us, and, give us a quick, a quick uh, refresh on that for the folks that weren't listening uh, this last week. Right. Right. I, I like the way you mentioned it. Uh, I I did mention earlier that I am not in politics because I love politics, um, but just because I feel uh, a necessity, uh, I'm compelled to be involved. But Academy 31 is something that I really love, 
and it's it's hard work too. It's a lot of work, but it's so it's so fruitful, and I feel it's so rewarding. So Academy Thirty One is a two week summer uh, girls camp. It's a Christian camp, and the overarching goal of the camp is to help girls to seek God for themselves. Uh, so we have we have speakers who come in from all over the country. We fly in several to just uh, spend time with the girls and talk and share their testimonies. And at the same time, we also teach practical skills. And we, we try to balance it out. So we have this kind of weird combination of some girly indoor things, like we do bread making and crafts, uh, accessories, uh, using herbs. Sometimes uh, we've, done, we've done herb gardening. We've done various things with that. Uh, massages, but at the same time we do outdoor activities. Like we're going to have a whole outdoor uh, outdoor skills day uh, this coming summer. And we're going to teach. We're going to include firearms, and uh, we do stuff like you know basic car maintenance, changing tires. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of other outdoor activities. We definitely do. We do workouts and PT. And I'm blanking out on some of the other classes. But we have we have a, a real combination of the the more uh, gritty outdoor classes as well as some indoors. And, uh, and you know, combined with the whole, with the, with the spiritual aspect of, of encouraging girls to seek the Lord. The camp is, as I mentioned, it's called Academy 31. Our website is academy31.com. I think it's still in process, but that should be up and running uh, very soon. And this summer, it's going to be August 3rd through 15th for two weeks, and that's here in Central Texas. And you can also find that on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash academy31, academy31. Okay. And, and i got to say, I'm just I'm amazed that every time I, uh, you know, I peel back another layer of the onion and I see what you're doing, I'm really very, very proud uh, to know you and proud that you are part of the organization uh, that... Uh, that I am working with, and uh, oh yeah, one last thing of uh, one little bit, uh, last bit of uh, uh, full disclosure is that uh, our, our company, Battle Road USA, uh, we you know we've been hosting apple seeds uh, forever, and and all of the instructors are apple seed instructors, and we've we've been watching Rachel uh, ever since she started. Because uh, she was just, she's just a good person, and and those people, uh, those people did, even today they stand out like a sore thumb, and uh, and so we watched her for quite a while, and finally we said, you know what, uh, we need her, we need her to work with us and work with our company, and so Rachel's been on staff at Battle Road for a while now, and. We couldn't be happier. Uh, we haven't done a lot over the last year because of the uh, the ammunition craziness, uh, but we're hoping that the tsunami is going to break this year and that our classes are going to pick back up. But uh, Rachel's been working out with us with the with Battle Road USA, and we're very happy about that. And we've got the uh, the Battle Road. Uh, zombie destruction running gun coming up. Rachel will be uh, working with us on that. That's the four and a half mile looping trail with eight shooting stations, uh, and then obstacles in between each station. 
and uh, it's going to be a great event this year. And I want to let folks know, and we're going to be back here just second, Rachel. But I want to let folks know that we're working this year. We're going to work, or this this April, we're going to work with uh, a young lady named Melanie Davis. And uh, did you did you know Melanie, Rachel? I know um, that you knew yes, this Miss Chow. Yes. Well, um, Melanie I met with Melanie. Uh, Mm-hmm. Melanie is the founder of the uh, Love Your Veterans organization, and it's an organization that's that's fairly new, and that's one of the reasons that we picked it. You know, we we wanted to work with a with an organization that was doing a good job with helping our veterans, and uh, you know, there were all different kinds of ideas that we could have done with, and people were saying, hey, you know, work with. Uh, uh, Wounded Warrior and stuff like that, and and Wounded Warrior is a uh, is a good organization. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about them because they do a good job. Uh, but they have some different ideas, and and that's not even the main the main point is they already have corporate funding and stuff like that. We wanted to work with somebody where our our measly little check that we're going to be able to cut them uh, after the run is going to actually mean something uh, to them. So we're going to be working with Melanie uh, Davis from the Love Your Veterans Foundation. And I think that we're going to put together a uh, program where we're going to be working with her on uh, on helping to host a uh, like a national tournament of shoot-a-thons where the, uh, the proceeds will go to help veterans. And this is to help veterans that are going to... They're making the transition from their military service back into civilian life. And it can be either with... Uh, with physical wounds that they've received in combat, or maybe it's uh, maybe it's just mental or social uh, wounds that they've received. And being a veteran that transitioned from uh, from military to civilian life, I'm telling you, it's uh, even in the best of cases, it is uh, it's pretty rough and it's pretty scary because you just spent I don't know four, five, six, eight, ten years in a completely different world. I mean completely different world. If you've never been in the military, then you can't understand how different it is. The military is a place where uh, if you're not at the appointed time, at, uh, at the appointed place, wearing the correct uniform, ready to render the proper greeting of the day, you can go to jail. You don't have the same rights. You don't have civil rights. Uh, it is it's a different world. And making the jump back into civilian life is uh you know it's kind of rough sometimes especially for uh for folks that uh that are coming fresh out of Afghanistan and stuff like that. So we're going to be working with her in April. We invite you all you guys all to come out and uh and if you want to make the run, then you can go to uh, battlelordusa.com and get signed up for the run. If you just want to come out and watch, you're welcome to do that. Uh if you want to come out and uh, and and as a vendor and uh, set up a table and sell some stuff. We'd be glad to talk to you about doing that. If you want to come out as an organization like Appleseed or Oath Keepers or Texas Farm Freedom and have a table and hand out literature, then we want you to do that. Uh, and I think you have some friends uh, that uh, you're going to be bringing out. Rachel, the, uh, the organization was mm, come, come and take, and take it, it. The caddy group? Mm-hmm, yes, they, they will be there. Okay, and they're going to come out. So we welcome any, any anybody that would like to come out. We welcome the folks that are coming to bring stuff to barter and trade. Uh, we'd like to make this a nice big event. 
uh, for everybody to have socially, but it's a, uh, also remember that the whole reason to have the event is to make sure that, uh, that your shooting skills, your stamina, and your gear all work together in concert in order to make sure that you are able to, uh, you're able to use your skills and your gear in the event that uh, something happened that caused you to need it. You know, if the Japanese invaded again, uh, which they never did, but if they invaded, then uh, part of the the force that would help repel them. Uh, if uh, if aliens or zombies showed up, then you could do the same thing. Uh, the point is, it's, it's a good way to test your gear. Uh, and for more information on that, you can go to uh, www.battleroadusa.com and click on the zombie running gun, and uh, we'd love to have you guys at that. Rachel, uh, mm-hmm. I think you're doing a fantastic job. Now, if you had some advice to give to folks now, and, and over the last couple of months you've been really busy because you have been teaching folks how to get involved at the very at the very basic ground level, which almost everybody can do, and that's by going to their uh, whatever party they're working with and becoming delegates to that party and putting forth the uh, uh, are uh, submitting uh, some resolutions. Resolutions, okay. Mm-hmm. Submitting resolutions and getting your ideas. You, as one person, as in one individual, getting your actual your ideas and stuff listened to. And you've been doing a bang up job doing that. And uh, you're a delegate this year. And if there is something, if there was one bit of advice that you could give folks on on getting started, what would it be? Yeah, and this this would apply to anybody, not just in Texas. Anybody who wants to make a difference. First, you've got to study. You've got to study principles of liberty so you, you know the broader framework, but you've also got to study the process, um, you know, whether whether it's through the legislature, through school board meetings, city council. You've got to study that those political processes. And you've got to find an issue that really makes you mad, uh, that that violates <laughs> principles of liberty. And jump in and do everything that you can. Um, it's also really important to connect with other liberty activists. Because, yes, you are one person, but you're going to leverage your one personness by, by connecting with everybody else and networking with people who agree with you. And maybe the most important thing is don't give up. It's so easy to jump in and be real passionate about something and then find their obstacles, find it's not as easy as you thought, or find you know it's going to take a lot longer and just say, okay, I give up. This isn't going to work. And you've got to keep on going. You, you can't give up. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot harder than you think. But if you're standing for something that's worth standing for, it's worth standing for even if it's hard. So don't give up. Stick with it. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you very much for for spending the time and, uh, and speaking with us. That's all we have time for, folks. We'll, uh, we'll see everybody this next When I was young, my teacher told me that I was free, yeah. And as a child, I grew up programmed by TV.
one walks right, they'll knock you to your knees. 